Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, for showing up this morning. If this is your first time, or maybe it's the first time in a very long time, my name is Donald, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and today is my opportunity actually to speak from the Bible. And you know what I have found so amazing over all these years is that how relevant the Bible is. You don't have to try to make it relevant. It is relevant. And uh, though it was written over 2,000 years ago, it still applies and relevant for us who are living in July of 2017. Now this morning I, I recognize that uh, it can be very challenging here to get connected in a, you know, a fairly large church. And nonetheless, we're really trying to do better at connecting, especially with our guests. So if you're here this morning, and maybe you're just here for the weekend, you're visiting some uh, family or some friends, we just wanna say welcome. Thank you for sharing part of your summer with us. Um, I, I, Pastor Glenn has some family actually here just for the weekend, just popped in, his mom and dad and his brother and uh, sister-in-law. I have family here that just popped in from Florida late last night, my sister and her husband and my nephew and my nieces. And I had a friend just pop in from Halifax this morning as well. So uh, I realized some people are just here for the weekend and we're so glad you make our service much more um, rich. Uh, but you know, maybe you're here this morning, uh, you're from the area and you're just kind of checking out who is God and what is he all about? Uh, you have found no better place than to investigate that than right here. Or, you know, or maybe you're just looking for a place to call home, to connect with. Um, we think Temple's a great place for something that to happen. We are absolutely convinced that you cannot do life on your own. We believe that we, we have been designed for relationships. And that's why we're always trying to connect people to Jesus. And we're always trying to connect people uh, to one another uh, in this life that we find ourselves in. Well, last week we began a brand new series called God is on the move. We're doing a study of the book of Genesis. And last week, Pastor Glenn kicked us off with God moves in relationship. It's God who makes the initiative. It's God who always takes the first step. In fact, when uh, Pastor Glenn was talking about Genesis 3.15, right from the very beginning, right from the very beginning, God put the wheels into motion that there would be a rescuer, that there would be a deliverer uh, for his people. Now, I realize that it would be very easy for us to read through the book of Genesis and simply say, well, it's a record of how the earth began. And if we thought that, we think, yeah, it's true, it is a record, but that's not the main thing about Genesis. Or perhaps you may read through the book of Genesis and say, it's a collection of stories of great heroes of the faith that we should pattern our lives after. Mm, I think there's much more than that. In fact, you know, th this uh, past week, I heard a pastor say, a lot of sermons have been wasted on the book of Genesis. And at first when I heard it, I was like, I gasped. I was like, oh, what? I mean, Genesis is such an important part of the Bible. How could you say you waste sermons? But then he went on to explain. He says, way too many preachers, he says, will talk about some of these great men and women, you know, of Genesis. You know, I, um, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah and Rebecca and Noah and Joseph and say that we should pattern our lives after these people. I mean, for goodness sakes, they're great heroes of the faith. But the problem is, when you actually study their lives, you find out they're so much like us. 
I mean, they, got, they make bad decisions, they make huge mistakes, they're fearful, they find themselves to be selfish, they lack faith, they find themselves caught in lies, they fail, um, they cause heartaches for others. And I think, why would I want to pattern my life after these people? So I look at the book of Genesis, it's got to be more than that, because there's enough fail, um, flaws and failures in these great men and women of God that I'm convinced the primary purpose is for, not for us to just to look at these stories and think, well, we should be more like these people. I think it's far more than that. Here's the reality. There is actually only one hero in the book of Genesis. There's actually only one hero that is through the entire book of the Bible. From the opening words of Genesis to the closing pages of Revelation, it is all a witness to God's amazing grace. That's what the book of Genesis really is all about. A God who is full of grace. The book of Genesis demonstrates to us that we are not achievers. Actually, we're receivers. The book of Genesis really does paint an incredible, vivid picture of a one-way, unconditional, unstoppable, immovable love of God. Because the first thing that we learn about God right from the opening chapter is that God is a giver. He creates and he gives. We know that to be true because we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Like, he always takes the initiative. Why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God is a giver. And he always makes the first move. He, he initiates the relationship. Genesis really is a book about radical grace. And this morning, we're going to see radical grace vividly displayed for all of us this morning. The first thing that you read after Adam and Eve's sin of disobedience, the very first thing they read is the story of Cain and Abel. And when we read that story, we, rec we realize just how shady life can get. Because what we see in this story is a story of anger and jealousy and frustration and entitlement and pity and unbelief and murder. The story of Cain and Abel is a story ultimately about the good news. It's ultimately a story of the gospel. The story of Cain and Abel is literally a story of sin and grace. It is a story of desperation and deliverance. It is a story of judgment and acquittal. The story gives us a taste of who ultimately is going to come and to rescue men and women from the mess that we've kind of made of our lives. The story is not about, hey, you know what, guys? We need to be a little less like Cain and a lot more like Abel. The sad part of the story is we're already a lot like Cain. When we look at our hearts, when we study our lives, we realize that there's a lot more Cain in us than maybe what we would like to admit. And human nature, what human nature does is that we read the story and we kind of distance ourselves from the character of Cain. And maybe there's some here this morning 
that are very unfamiliar with this story. What do, you, what do you mean the story of Cain and Abel? And for others, you, maybe you've read it a number of times. So this morning, what I'd like us to do is read through it once again so we totally understand exactly what is taking place. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do this morning, or some kind of electronic device, turn to the first book of the Bible, the first book of the Old Testament. It's Genesis. Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to read the first few verses there of Genesis chapter are you there the first book just a couple pages in it says Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain she said with the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man later she gave birth to his brother Abel Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It it desires to have you. You must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opens his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be restless wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. I I can't bear it. Today you are driving me from the land and and I will be hidden from your presence and and I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me, they'll kill me. It's too much. But the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one would, so no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. It says, Cain lay with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son, Enoch. Let's just pray for a moment. Father, I pray now in the next few moments, I pray, Lord, that you would make yourself real to us. I pray, Lord, that we'll sense your presence. I pray, Lord, as we look at this story, we'll grab those fresh glimpses of who Jesus Christ is. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This story reminds us that there's just some things in this world that never change. We are broken people living in a broken world, living amongst broken people. I mean, things are always falling apart around us. Nothing is as as it should be. 
And that's what causes so much frustration for us. That's what causes tension. That's what causes disappointments. That's what causes uh, jealousy. That's what causes breakdowns, whether it's emotional breakdown or physical breakdown or, or spiritual breakdowns or mental breakdowns. I mean, even if you were to go throughout Sarnia and knock door after door after door and you found the most hardcore atheists in all of Sarnia, even they will admit not everything is the way it should be. We have problems. You look at the political landscape federally across our country or maybe even provincially or maybe even regionally and even politicians recognize there are problems. There's things that are just broken and our world, and of course, each politician, each party kind of has their own way of how they're going to fix things, but they realize things need to be fixed. They, they deal with environmental issues, global terrorism, human rights, interest rates, jobs, drug problems, mental health, poverty, immigration, uh, human trafficking, refugees. The things that need to be fixed are endless. You do not need to be a Christian to acknowledge that things in this world are broken. That's the reality. And the story that we have just read here, the story of Cain and Abel, really is a story about Jesus. Now, I know some of you are thinking, whoa, 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 back up there. Back up there, little guy. This is not about Jesus. Donald, you just read the story. His name is not even mentioned in the book. Get off the cold medication that you're on. Look at that passage again, because it is not about Jesus. I've referenced this before, but remember the story where Jesus in the New Testament, after he's been crucified, there's a story in the Bible that talks about two man, men that are walking on the Emmaus Road. And they're so distraught, they're depressed, they're discouraged, they're downcast, because the one who they had put all their hope in was dead. And then all of a sudden Jesus appears and they don't recognize him and they're talking and Jesus says to them, why are you guys so sad? Like, what, what's the problem? He says, haven't, haven't you heard? The one that we had put all of our hope in is gone. We thought he would be the one who would rescue us. We thought he would be the one who would deliver us. But he's just been crucified. And they buried him. And then it says that Jesus from the prophets the New Testament hadn't been written, from the prophets, he began to explain to them how everything pointed to Jesus. Right from the very beginning, everything, every story points to Jesus, a rescuer, a deliverer, that somebody was coming to clean up the mess that we have made. Every story, I believe, of the Bible is about Jesus. This is not just a, this book is not just a book of uh, a collection of, of heroes that we're supposed to pattern our lives after. There's one hero in this book, and it's Jesus. Really, when you study all the other heroes, how often we look at their lives and we say, man, they're kind of shady at times. We find that they cheat, that we find that they compromise many times. We find that they're emotional wrecks, that we find that they're dysfunctional. Now, there's only one hero in the book of Genesis, and it's Jesus. The entire Old Testament has one hero, and it seems as though he lives in the shadows. But nonetheless, he is the hero. See, the Old Testament predicts God's rescuer. And the New Testament presents God's rescuer. The entire Bible tells one story. It points to one figure whose name is Jesus. So ultimately, 
The story of Cain and Abel really is a story about Jesus. This is not a story about how we're supposed to be more like Abel and less like Cain. Because if that was what it was all about, I think it would be so discouraging because the whole story would be on our performance, how we perform to please God. And we know how well that goes. It seems the harder we try, the more we mess up. Even the Apostle Paul, remember he says that, the things that I I desperately want to do, yeah, I don't do those things. And the things that I don't want to do, oh my goodness, he says, those are the things I find myself doing. So thank goodness this story is not about performance, how you perform to win God's favor. But when we read the story, we do find a story about a young man who is very jealous and very insecure. And his name is Cain. And what we find out is that, of course, he's a farmer. His brother, is, um, his brother kind of raises uh, animals and that, and, and Cain does, kind of works the land. He, he does those cash crops, and, um, and so he's working hard like everyone else, like his brother, and then he brings his offering to the Lord, and the Lord doesn't accept it, and it ticks off Cain. And yet the Lord accepts Abel, and, and Cain's saying, look, I've worked very hard for this. Look what I have done. I can't believe you haven't accepted this. And it says that he he gets very, very angry. And so what he does, he says, hey, Abel, brother, bro, let's go for a walk. Let's go go to the fields. Got something I want to talk to you about. And something rises inside of Cain, such anger that it actually causes him to kill his own brother. His own brother. And that's when we would say, listen, I am nothing like Cain. I may have a little bit of a jealousy problem, and I may be a little insecure, but certainly I would never kill somebody over it. I'm nothing like Cain. Kind of reminds me of the story. Remember when the Pharisees in the New Testament, they would say, oh, I'm so thankful I'm not like that guy. Oh, I'm so thankful that God didn't create me like to be like him. That's just the, that's our natural response. The human heart uh, defaults that we want to back away that we're nothing like that. The truth of this story is that we are a lot like Cain. We are more similar to him than any of us would like to admit. I mean, just think about it. Cain has this feeling that he needs to be validated for who he is. He, 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 he has this need to, to feel appreciated. He, he has this need to feel approval. And so what does he do? He takes matters into his own hands. Who hasn't done that before? Right, things are happening, and we're like, well, it's not working out, so I'm going to take things and, and, and make something happen. So, yeah, that's what Cain does. We've all done that. And so here's Cain. He, he lacks the approval that he desperately longs for. And in order for him to matter, he's got to win. He's got to be on the top of his game. He's got to be regarded as somebody. He feels like he's been robbed. He feels like he isn't getting what is due him. Oh my goodness, who hasn't felt that before? He feels that God hasn't given him what he has worked so hard for. So he takes matters into his own hands. Anyone ever done that before? Seriously. I look at the store and I go, oh my goodness, that's me every day of my life. Taking control, trying to manipulate situations so it can happen the way I want it to. Because, hey, aren't I like a somebody? Shouldn't things be happening for me? 
You know, it's very obvious that in this story, somebody, Cain, has an anger problem. Somebody in this story gets really bent out of shape. Somebody in this uh, story, his emotions just boil over. And just for just, let's just pause for a second. Let's just talk about that, anger. Even the calmest, sweetest, gentlest person in this room this morning in some way deals with anger. Anger affects all of us at some level. And I'm amazed at my own heart how I have to deal with it. I think I do a pretty good job hiding it. You know, I try to stuff it in there, but oh, I know what happens uh, inside. And Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man, by the way, that defiles him, it's what comes out of a man that defiles him. And when, you, when you're put into the pressure cooker, and when we don't get what we deserve, or we don't get what we feel like we are entitled to, or we don't get the respect that we think is due us, how quickly things just begin to turn inside of us, a little bit of bitterness. And then before you know, it just kind of turns into anger. And I'm amazed, actually, I am amazed how many times this happens to me personally. Like, it's just, ooh, you, you, you know, your day is going so well, and, yeah, and all of a sudden, somebody says something, and it catches you off guard, and you politely smile, <laughs> but boy, it begins to turn. Or maybe somebody doesn't do something that you, you know that they should be doing, and all of a sudden, something begins to turn inside of you. And I realize some of us do a good job at just holding it in. Others, we just, we just let it go, for sure. But sometimes you feel like someone has maybe taken an unjust shot at you. Or maybe you've been blind, and, and you're really, you, you've been hurt. Or maybe your kids aren't giving you the respect that you deserve. Or maybe your husband isn't loving you the way he should. Or maybe your wife is not giving you the respect that you're due. And all of a sudden, things begin to turn inside. And it's amazing what rises up inside of us. Anger, jealousy, and bitterness, frustration is always the result when we fail to get what we think we deserve. Anger is always a result when we fail to get what we think we should have. And that's exactly what Cain felt. Lord, look what I've done. I've worked with my own hands. I've worked hard, blood, sweat, and tears. I have produced a great crop. Surely you should be accepting of this. And God says, no, I'm not actually. Because that's not what I asked for. And then it just it begins to turn inside of him. And this anger begins to really fester inside. James, in the book of James, James says actually the same thing. He says, why are there so many quarrels among you? Like, he's addressing Christians. Like, why are you guys always arguing? This is in James chapter four. And then he makes it very clear, oh, I know why because you're not getting what you think you deserve. So we know why oftentimes anger kind of festers inside of us. Now the world will tell us that your greatest problem 
is outside of you. And your only solution is what's inside of you. That's what the world would tell us. So, in other words, they would say, your greatest problem is the other person. Your greatest problem is your husband. Your greatest problem is your boss. Your greatest problem is your kids. Your greatest problem is your financial uh, situation. The biggest problem you have is outside. And the only solution to this is what's gonna change things is what's on the inside. And that's why we so desperately wanna manipulate situations and circumstances so we can get rid of those people that are causing those problems. But the Bible, the gospel, says actually the very opposite. He says your greatest problem is what's inside. And the only solution can come from the outside. That is a huge difference. Now, I'm not downplaying anyone's circumstances. I realize they can be hard. I know they can be very hurtful and painful. But the greatest problem that can enslave us is what's inside of us. And the only thing that can really ultimately change us is what comes from the outside. I mean, so easy we would say, you know, why don't people recognize who I am? I've accomplished a lot in my life. Why doesn't my husband recognize that my job staying home with the kids is just as important as his job? You know, why is my business not taking off? I work just as hard, if not harder, than that guy over there. It makes no sense. And when we fail to believe that all we need is actually found in Jesus, life becomes a competition. That's what it does. When we recognize that, when we come to the point where we think, well, everything I need is not actually found in Jesus, I'm gonna go out and find it. And then all of a sudden, you know, competition and bitterness and jealousy, it all just begins to work inside of you. I'll share a story to you that comes very close to my, my heart. So, um, I've been here, what, 10 months? I think about 10 months. So, I, uh, my previous experience, I was there for 16 years. 16 years, you know, social pastor, loved the people, uh, invested in the people. I mean, I just loved that situation. God, you know, God really was, was very, bless me, unbelievable. But you know what? I went away for a week, and uh, I went away for a week's vacation. And while I was away, without anybody telling me, without any word, some major changes took place. So they, there was this brand new hire that took place. Nobody had mentioned it. Nobody talked to me about it. At the time, we didn't have a lead pastor. And so all of a sudden, I come back like, whoa, who, who's, who's this guy? I go away for seven days, and nobody has said a thing to me about it. And I remember thinking to myself, are you kidding me? Look at that guy. He's like one step from the grave. Look at me. I kept thinking to myself, you know, I'm a better communicator. I'm more connected. What is going on in here? In order to feel like I mattered, I had to felt like I had to prove myself. I had to show people what's underneath the hood so they knew what I was all about. You know, and even at times, it still at times can, can plague me. 
But when we think that everything we need cannot be found in Christ, it becomes like a competition. Cain wanted desperately to be regarded by God for his sacrifice, and he wasn't. And he became very angry. Does your boss, does your boss regard the sacrifices that you make at work? Does he recognize that you're only doing so well because of that last deal that you made? When we are not regarded, we become just like Cain. We do, we, we become angry. Now you may say, well, okay, Donald, I get it, I get it, I get it. Okay, so yeah, I'm bad, I'm bad. But I am nothing like Cain. I'm nothing like him. You know, if you maybe um, would go to a therapist and you say to your therapist, you know, I was at work today and I, and I saw this really, really attractive woman and she showed me a lot of attention. And, and I almost, like I almost committed adultery. And the therapist says, well, did you? No, I didn't. Oh, well, then that's, that's, not, then that's no big deal. You didn't do it, so it's okay. Or maybe you can say to your therapist, listen, um, I was so angry with my boss. He made me so mad. I almost killed him. Did you? Well, no. Oh, well, then it's not that bad. No big deal. That's only true in the eyes of people and the government. but it's not true with God. Have you ever read the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus changes the economy and he says, you know what? You've heard it said, don't kill, don't murder. But I say, if you have thought about it, if you have anger against your brother, you have committed it. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, Jesus says, but I'm saying, if you have lusted after someone you have, Interesting that God puts our actions and our thoughts as equal. It's so hard to swallow. I have a hard time swallowing this, that I'm actually like Cain. And like Cain, we stand condemned. And God pronounces a curse on Cain. When we read that story, he's gonna kick him out He's going to be on the, uh, on the run for the rest of his life. And what does Cain do? Cain says, I, I, can't, I can't bear that. I can't do that. How can I live like that? God, I can't do that. I can't, I, can't, I can't bear that kind of curse on me. He goes on to say, you know, if, if I'm found, somebody, somebody will murder me. Remember the story, you know, an eye for an eye. And uh, they'll be out to get me. I can't handle this. I can't handle this curse that you're, you're placing down on me. It's too much. It's way too much for me to bear. And then God's first words to Cain are not his final words. God speaks a word of promise, a word of promise to Cain. And this is so shocking to me. I mean, the law reveals his condition that he is guilty, but grace speaks something completely different. Grace speaks a word of pardon. I mean, that's why we, all, we say all the time, grace doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any human sense to us. I mean, here's a guy who has just murdered his brother. 
And God says, I'll protect you. What? That's, that's unbelievable. And yet that describes all of us. That's why we say the grace of God is so scandalous. I mean, who deserves grace less than Cain? Nobody, and yet what is given to him? The grace of God. It's a one-way love, not a two-way love. It's one way. It's God reaching down and giving to us what we do not deserve. It's life from death. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The word acquittal is louder than the word accused. And there's even more. When you read the story, which we just did, there's even more. Because not only does God say, listen, I will put a mark on you. I will protect you. Nobody will harm you, Cain. Then it goes on to say that he is given a woman to love. And he bears a son and he builds a city. Wouldn't you think that he would be a fugitive for the rest of his life? And yet what does God give him? He gets married and enjoys the love of a woman. I mean, he's able to have a family. He has a son. He becomes a builder. It says he builds a city. This is no small thing. This is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Once again, God demonstrates that his grace is always greater than our sin. And my friend, that is good news. That is news that we desperately need to be reminded of, that his grace is greater than our sins. The wages of sin is death, but, I love that, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The gospel reverses the curse. The most honest person here this morning needs, I would recognize that they are broken. They're broken. And the apostle Paul says at the end of his life, I, I've always, I could never figure this out. At the end of his life, the apostle Paul says, I am the worst guy that I know. I'm going, come on, Paul. False humility is not becoming. I mean, you're the one who has traveled the known world. You've preached the gospel. You've gone on th worldwide trips to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're the one who's been shipwrecked over and over again. You're the one who's been stoned. You're the one who's been in prison for the cause of Christ. What do you mean you're the worst guy ever? But when he would look down deep inside, he, he recognized his brokenness, his desperate need for Jesus Christ. And that's why when he looked down deep inside, he said, I'm, I'm just the worst guy that I know. I'm broken. It's really, it's about me decreasing and him increasing. The most honest person here has got to admit, you can't do it. You just can't meet all the demands that are put in you. When we come to the point and recognize I am in trouble and I am in desperate need of God's grace. There's days I look at my life and I go, man, I am in need of a double portion of God's grace. Because I recognize I'm not cutting it. And if you're here this morning and you recognize you are not cutting it, then grace is what you are looking for. And it's only offered from one. 
an unconditional, unstoppable, immovable, one-way grace of God. Who can fix the mess that we find ourselves in? Only one. And his name is Jesus. And he came to change the curse that was put on men and women. Therefore, I love this verse, therefore there is now no no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Just think about that. There is now no, none, nada condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the banner that flies over the head of every Christian who is a follower of Jesus Christ. There is now no condemnation for you. And my friend, that is great news. That is the final word spoken over those who are followers of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, the good news, no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. His grace is always greater than our sin. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for familiar stories in the Bible where we can look and we can read and we can study and, and, and we see you. Amazing, like we see you in the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, thank you, God, that you are a God who is always on the move, always initiating, always taking the first step to be in relationship with people, to redeem people, always being the first one to extend grace to us, a broken people, a grace that is greater always always greater than our sin. And thank you, Lord, that every time we open up a word, we see you, and we see what you have done for us. You rescued us, you delivered us, and that was your plan from day one, because we serve a God who is always on the move. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.